Live from New York, it's Ask an Engineer. Hey everybody, and welcome to Ask an Engineer. It's me, Lady Ada the Engineer. A little bit of cold, maybe a little bit more nasally than normal. With me, Mr. Lady Ada, who does not have a cold, uh, just healthy as an ox. <laughs> um, we're ready to rock out for the next 50 minutes, 60, 50, 60 minutes. Uh, the latest news and updates in the world of electronics, making, hacking, coding, soldering, floppy disk emulating, and more. Let's get right into it because we got a packed show. What's well, going on, show, Mr. Lady Ada? On tonight's show, the code is can BFF. Can BFF? Yeah, you can. Yeah. Um, 10% off the native for star all the way up to 11.59 p.m. Eastern time. Talk about some of our live shows, including show and tell. We got some highlights from Desk of Lady Ada, including the great search. We got JP's product pick of the week. Got some time travel, got some news, got some advanced manufacturing, main New York City factory footage, a couple of videos from Newman Pedro and 3D printing. We got INMPI brought to you by DigiKeith this week. It is ST. Top secret. We got a lot this week. We're going to try to get to all of it. New products. We answer your questions. We do that on Discord, adafruit.it slash Discord or discord.gg slash adafruit. Come on by. Post your questions. We get to them throughout the show and at the end of the show, of course. All that and more on, you guessed it, Ask an Engineer. Okay, so KBFF is a code. You get free stuff. Later, what do they get? Okay, uh, you see, we have freebies. $99 or more, you get a free, beautiful PCB with gold Adafruit logo coaster. Put it on your desk, put your hot or cold drink on it. Uh, it will not conduct electricity, but it will keep your desk nice and clean. Comes with little bumpers as well. 149 or more, we're still giving away KB2040s, our Pro Micro pinout compatible boards that have an RP2040 chip and 8 megabytes of flash and stomach UT and buttons and NeoPixel. And 199 or more, uh, UPS ground shipping in the continental United States. It's trackable and insured. And 299 or more, we're still giving away our favorite round PCB, Circuit Playground Express. It's great for learning how to code and do electronics. Don't have to solder, and you can code in Arduino or code.org, CS Discoveries, or MakeCode, or CircuitPython, or even MicroPython. Wonderful little board. Okay. And uh, do not forget, this all works with the code, CanBFF. Yep. And it supports us, an open source hardware company. Yeah. No funding. We don't uh, monetize surveillance. In business. <laughs> you, you know that uh, just we work when you buy hardware. That's how it works. So thanks for your purchases and more. Sweet. It is uh, a rare and unique thing to have a manufacturing company in the USA and in New York be woman-owned and be open source. All of those things, your purchases help. That's why I got the code and free stuff, too, to say thanks. Yay. <clears throat> we have live shows. So for live shows, um, we just finished up the show and tell. On the show and tell, we do this every single Wednesday, 7.30 p.m. It's either us or some of our Adafruit team members who are co-hosting. Um, I got a chance to check it out briefly. Um, if you want to see live demo of the one-button Pac-Man, um, and we'll go over this a little bit, there is a uh, Python-powered webcam, a CircuitPython webcam. We got a lot of neat stuff. Um, do check out the show and tell. But anyone come by. Every single week, show and share your stuff, retro, hardware, tours of maker spaces, you name it, you can show it. Longest running show and tell in the world. Let me see what, what Adafruit is up to also. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, we do the desk of Lady Ada every Sunday. Lady Ada, it was in two parts. What did you show on your desk this week? Okay. This week, um, I showed off my working prototype of my NeoPixel to RGB controller. So you can drive. You saw like I had a little tower light and I had a little NeoPixel, super bright NeoPixel that I was, uh, I was demoing. I also showed off the ESP32-S2 Itsy Bitsy that I got in and made a small mistake-ish issue, whatever. I made some things that could have been better. Improved it for the next version on the low power, got down to 10 microamps in deep sleep mode, which is wonderful. Tested the Wi-Fi on it as well. Uh, so some really exciting hardware is gonna be in the store in the next couple of weeks. Okay, and then we do the great search. That's when you use the power of engineering to help people find things on digikey.com. It is an art finding things on a gigantic search engine. That millions finds... and millions of things, yeah. yeah. But you want one thing. Uh, so I showed the micro USB connector that we use, a very similar one. Uh, things to look for when getting micro USB connectors. Well, I think we did USB Type-C already, but sometimes people want to have the old stuff, the old school style. They want the micro USB. And, uh, you know, I do a 50-50 through-hole SMT type. I like it with like four legs, not two. 
um, give some hints and give some good options. And I recommend uh, to make sure that your next micro USB containing design doesn't have the pads rip off, which is like so sad. Okay. Um, and then of course on Tuesdays we do JP's product pick of the week. It's part of the show. Um, here's Island. It is the DRV8871 DC motor driver breakout. You can control it just with PWM coming from your microcontroller. Here is the DRV8871. It's driving the motor under there and we're getting DC power from battery. Uh, and then I have a little gear, little Technic gear train there. So if I give this microcontroller power, it will start sending PWM to tell the motor to go in one direction slow it down, and then go in the other direction. Uh, so this could be any type of hobby application and use CircuitPython. Uh, but you can, of course, use this for any type of small motor application up through up to a 45 volt motor uh, that draws up to 3.6 amps. So it doesn't have to be uh, tiny. It is the DRV8871 DC motor driver breakout. Okay, and you can join JP's workshop on Thursday tomorrow. On Friday, it'll either be Scott or from a guy, Tim, 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern for Deep Dive. And that's when you can learn about the innards of CircuitPython or more, depending on uh, which one is around and scheduled. You can view it and also look at all the ones on wherever you watch videos. We have an entire playlist on YouTube, of course, but there's other places as well. Uh, we broadcast in all the places. This is mostly site updates, but it's interesting to some of you. So here's what we're doing. Starting on Tuesday, um, you may notice when you sign into your Adafruit account, you get an email that says, hey, you've signed into your Adafruit account. This is probably familiar when you sign into many websites now, especially ones that have things like banking, or um, pretty much anything now, you get an email notification and it says, hey, you signed in from this IP address. Um, is this you? If not, here's who to contact. And then um, you can turn this off in your settings, but as a uh, proactive security measure, based on what's going on in the world, you probably see the articles. Lots of folks use their login and password across multiple sites. There's lots of things called password stealers. There's credential really? stuffing, you know. <laughs> Um, and then some folks just use, you know, the same, same password across lots of sites. Um, we don't have any security issues. There's no breaches or anything like that. This is just part of um, us being uh, forward thinking. So starting on Tuesday, um, as we roll this out, when you log into your Adafruit account, it'll tell you, hey, you've logged into your Adafruit account. That way, if something ever happens and you get one of those notifications and it wasn't you, you'll be able to do something about it. So... Um, it's good, good security practice. Yes, yeah, but if you don't want it, don't worry. In the email, there's instructions on how to not get notified when there is a new sign-in on your Adafruit account. But then you won't know. But then you won't know. So this is probably going to be default on every website. Um, we're just always, you know, we have two-factor authentication. We have all sorts of best practices. Gmail does it. When I log in Gmail, yeah. it's always sales. And you log into Yeah, account. there's lots of social media sites do it. Um, Banking, like banking, banking, yeah, Drizzly, um, you name it, does it, yeah. And uh, what we want to do is just make sure everyone has all the tools they need to, you know, have the best security hygiene possible in this um, very treacherous landscape out there with billions and billions of uh, logins uh, being posted on the dark web. May as well get ahead of it. So that is our plan. You'll start seeing these on Tuesday and beyond. So if you want to um, check out your account now, you can go into your settings and go to security and privacy, and you can see if you are um, getting notifications. If you're not, turn on, but don't worry, this will be turned on for all of us very soon. Next up, return of Adabox. We got a few Adabox out by the end of 2023 in December, kind of down to the wire, and we're making the next round of Adaboxes. When your Adabox is ready to ship, you'll get an email if there's any issues with the payment information or shipping. We don't charge until we ship. And if there's any shipping information that we still need, we'll reach out to you. Um, but it is good um, to log into your account and just make sure everything's up to date. But don't worry, there'll be plenty of time and we have plenty of boxes and you know. It's good. Yeah. It's happening. Yeah, it's happening. Um, let's do some Python and Harmony news.
All right, it's a new year. So what does that mean? We have a blog post and we reach out on all the social media channels and more. You can go to adafruit.com slash circuitpython2024. Um, here's some of the first posts. Um, Scott did a roundup of this and you can see what are the things, um, what people are asking for. What are the things that are, what are the things and what are people asking for? So this is your chance to um, get the word out to the team who works on CircuitPython and figure out what's ahead. There's things that we want to improve. There's a lot of nice accolades. We appreciate that, but you know, please, please, please tell us what you want to see in uh, CircuitPython. So DJ Devin is in chat, had some. Um, it's our annual reflection. So make sure you have your, uh, Voices heard because whatever version that we're currently on, we're up to nine. Um, there's a good chance if there's something you ask for, you know, it'll happen. So one of the ones was like, um, does Blinken need to install so much stuff? Does it could, could be a simulator? Um, there's a lot of things that. Um, like it's, yeah, and you know what? The thing is, a lot of the people, the requests people have, we actually do get to them. Graphical projects. Yeah. We do get to them, and it's always good to hear what the community is interested in because otherwise, I have to read your mind, which I can do, but it's just it uses a lot of my Doctor X powers. Yeah. Whatever. So this is going on all throughout the month. Um, we'll continue to uh, ask for your input and more, but you can do it in the chats. You can do it and tag it. You can email us. There's an email address on the blog post. Um, all the ways possible. Um, give us the feedback and like uh, Lady was saying, we actually get to these things. And then um, the next thing, uh, here's something you didn't ask for. Um, I asked for it. <laughs> well, it's not asked for it. Actually. Well, you didn't ask for it, but um, we have a little bit of a preview um, in Python on hardware this week. Um, actually, before I get to the preview, let me just uh, pop over to the, the newsletter. Don't forget. Um, the newsletter has all this and more. Um, yeah, we went over some of the things uh, that's going on. There's more what Raspberry. About this last yeah, Thea uh, is a uh, new board president of Oshawa, which we really are excited about because Thea does Circuit Python and hardware stuff. So it's nice having representation on the um, the Oshawa board. Um, manufacturing updates with Raspberry Pi and more. Um, but this came in kind of uh, at the last minute today. And we wanted to show it off. So no one asked for this exactly, but um, you can use a CircuitPython board as a webcam. So take it away, Jepler. Hi, Jepler here. I just wanted to show you something I've been working on. Thanks to a recent contribution to TinyUSB, there's now the possibility to create USB video devices using supported microcontrollers. This happens to be running on an Adafruit MacroPad with a Raspberry Pi RP2040. And I've been working on connecting up that code with, to work with CircuitPython. Right now, my code.py is running, and it's creating a, this horizontally scrolling test pattern you see. The test pattern is created by some optimized CircuitPython loops that directly access the bitmap memory. Now I want to show you something else it can do. I am going to go ahead and enter the REPL and paste some code I've prepared. As you can see, it is using JPEG.io to open a file and decode it directly into the UVC bitmap. And when I go ahead and run that, Blinka does in fact appear. This code is in a very experimental state right now, uh, but now that we know it's possible, it's time to figure out how best to allow access from CircuitPython, possibly by making the UVC device into a Display.io display. Stay tuned to the newsletter. We do this on Adafruit Daily, delivered to your inbox every single week. We do this at a separate website because we don't want your store account to have anything to do with the newsletters you sign up and more, we don't use it as a sale or monetizing thing. Uh, we probably could or should, um, but no. that's, not, that's not how we operate. Crazy. Uh, so <laughs> if you want newsletters, go to our newsletter site. If you want to do store stuff, go to our store site. Um, you got to keep them separated. Yeah. And uh, sign up, do it every week. Uh, there was a person who just entered the code CANBFF. Um, try it again. Try it again. Yeah. We just I just kicked it. I just kicked to make sure it works. Um, but I'll answer you in the chat too. Try again. Yeah. Can BFF should be working. Um, let's do some open source hardware. Open source hardware. Okay. Open source hardware. We have a bunch of learn guides. A ton. Thousands. Lady Ada, what is on the big board this week? Okay, we actually have a ton of new guides. Okay, from Aaron Raymond Video, we're gonna show for her sound reactive Rapunzel hair. 
uses a circuit playground blue fruit and circuit python uh, jp did a really cool guide showing how you can use touch osc which is an app available i think for ios and android that lets you do wireless control of devices and then on the memento camera because it has wi-fi uh, he has an OSC client, and so you can control almost all of the different uh, abilities of the camera um, wirelessly over your iPhone, which is like kind of neat. Um, and then Liz did a, a project a lot of people have been asking for. It's a digital compass. Uh, it's a common request because people want to learn how to calculate heading from a magnetometer and an accelerometer. It's hard but it's kind of non-trivial if you've never done it before so she does that and also shows how to update the graphics to show which way you're walking uh so we use the qualia for that um, but this is a really good example of how to calculate compass heading uh with circuit python and some sensors um can you scroll down a yeah bit? there's more yeah there's more we will update the macro pad we also have from knowing pedro uh, a remote shutter button for Memento. They have a video about that as well. If you want to have external sensor devices that trigger taking a photo or autofocusing, uh, they show how to do it. They make a little button, but you can use like any sensor device. When the door opens, it takes a photo, or when a light sensor goes from light to dark, or when there's a PIR sensor, it detects motion, you can take a photo. So it just shows all the different, um, how, to, how to get started with setting up different sensors to use that uh, to make, take photos with your Memento. Okay, and we got a cute video from Aaron. We're going to play that and then we're going to roll right into manufacturing footage. Flower, gleam, and glow. Let your power shine. Make the clock reverse. Bring back what once was mine. Heal what has been hurt. Change the fate's design. Save what has been lost. Bring back what once was mine. What once was mine. Delight the princess in your life with magic, sound-reactive glowing hair that lights up when she sings. Our customizable Circuit Python code works seamlessly with the Circuit Playground Bluefruit to make her power shine. See the full build tutorial at learn.adafruit.com. And remember to subscribe for more fun DIY projects. And it's time for a view into the factory. Um, there's a show called How It's Made. It's kind of like that, except for it's How It's Made in Avert. made. All right, 3D printing. We're going to play the videos back to back. This is some camera stuff and a fun speed up. Take it away, Noon Pedro. You can build a remote shutter button for the Adafruit Memento camera. This simple project uses a momentary push button to create an external remote for triggering the shutter button on the Memento camera. 
Our 3D printed SnapFit enclosure houses the button PCB and doubles as a handle so you can take still photos without having to manually press the onboard shutter button. The Adafruit Memento dev board features the ESP32-S3, a 5 megapixel camera sensor, color TFT display, accelerometer, SD card slot, and speaker buzzard. This button PCB features a JST-PH connector, making it easy to plug into the stemma port on the side of the camera board. The Memento camera code in CircuitPython allows for easy customization, allowing you to trigger the shutter in different ways. Adding an external button is straightforward. Using the debounce library, you can detect a long press for doing autofocus. To get the code and documentation on using the Pi camera library, go to learn.adafruit.com. You can get the parts to build this project. Links are in the description. 3D print the parts to make the SnapFit enclosure using your favorite PLA filament. We modified the Memento camera case to expose the ports so you can plug in external components and sensors. Get the code, files, and full tutorial on the project learn guide. You can build a simple step switch using pieces of cardboard, copper tape, and alligator clips. We built this prototype to demonstrate you can craft your own shutter remote with common materials. We hope this inspires you to check out the Adafruit Memento for building your own camera projects. And BFF, we're gonna go because we got a lot ahead still. Let's go. I on MPI. Go, go, go. I on MPI. New product introductions. We do these every week. Thank you, DigiKey, for making this segment possible. STM, Play Data. What is IMPI? this week. Okay, this IMAPI is actually uh, thanks to Scott, who does it was our lead developer, one of our lead developers on CircuitPython, who's like, hey, did you know about these really cool STM32 chips? They're called the STM32U5. Wow. Uh, and I was like, no, I don't know about them. But I checked it out and DigiKey did, in fact, uh, feature them. So I thought, hey, this would be a you know good time for me to research this chip. Uh, and also tell you all about it because I think uh, STM32 chips are available nowadays. The prices are back to reasonable levels. The stocking is pretty good. Uh, so it's an excellent time if you want to integrate a powerful new chip to check out uh, the U5 series. Uh, so the U5 series, you know, it's STM32s, we know them, you know, they're ARM Cortex chips. They have a lot of peripherals. Um, use uh, STM32 Cube to do development, um, you know, they're they're very popular. And so most folks have tried or used an STM32 chip uh, sometime in their life. This new series um, updates, you know, that a lot of chips that people use with the Cortex M0, M3, or M4 series. Maybe people use the M7s, uh, the uh, STM32 H7 or F7 series. This is the M33. So the M33 is uh, the latest model of Cortex. Uh, these don't have as high clock rate, but they do have some really nice peripherals and capabilities. Um, in specific, the thing that really um, made my eyes pop is the three megabytes of SRAM. I think Scott also was like, that's a lot of SRAM. And they have a lot of SRAM, uh, mostly for their display stuff, although uh, we should talk about, but um, if you just need a microcontroller with a ton of onboard chip, not external PS RAM or DRAM, this uh, is definitely the most I've ever seen. Uh, so the U5 series is, 
uh, featured as uh, ultra low power. It's kind of what the U stands for. It is very, very low power, but and it also has um, embedded crypto uh, built in. But the real thing that it's great for is the graphic support. This is some of the strongest graphic supporting Mac controllers. Basically, you're getting microprocessor level video graphic support at microcontroller pricing and integration complexity. Uh, so this is the entire family. Um, in specific, I'm kind of the most interested, you know, if I had to pick one, uh, the STM32U599 um, series, this kind of seems to be like a nice middle. Uh, it doesn't have the crypto, if you need crypto, just you'll bump up to the uh, U589, but it does have TFT display IO support. Uh, it comes, you know, it's a it BGA, but it at least comes in a 0.4 millimeter pitch. There are, um, oh, sorry, and also the, um, it does come in, um qfp uh 100 pin qfp and 144 qfp um as well as uh bga as well um different packages sorry it's the it's the middle line and um you can get it with up to two and a half k of built-in ram and four megabytes of flash the interesting thing i thought with the 599 series is the neochrome G gpu uh, that is built into this series. And this is basically an upgrade from the Chrome Art, which is the previous family. Um, the Neochrome GPU basically adds um, advanced scaling, texture mapping, um, has some hardware and JPEG decoding as well, and uh, DSi display support. So, you know, pretty much every um, STM chip from like the Cortex M0, you know, F. 013 or whatever F103 series up to the H7 can control SPI or parallel 8080 or 6800 displays. Um, these are displays that have a built-in frame buffer and you draw a window and you say, you know, I want to fill the rectangle from 00 to 200 by 400 or whatever. And then you blit out the uh, uh, data over SPI or parallel 8-bit. And then the display handles the continuous updating of the TFT from the built-in frame buffer. The only thing is um, these tend to be small. So, you know, SPI TFT displays, yeah, you know, like 60, 64 by 48 pixels up to maybe 320 by 240. Um, parallel displays, you know, 480 by 320 or maybe 640 by 480 at the max um, are possible, but you are limited because the interface just isn't that fast. Usually it's like 10 megahertz, maybe you overclock to 20. You just can't write that many pixels that fast. Um, so the next thing you could possibly do is update to a dot clock display. And um, we've recently been playing more dot clock displays. You need a lot of pins for these, but you can control displays up to like 800 by 680. Um, these are very common for, uh, you know, white goods, uh, in-car entertainment systems, um, you know, checkout kiosks and stuff. You'll see small displays that are on like the you know, the credit card machines or whatever, those are often going to be RGB TTL displays. Uh, you can get fairly good resolution, but the downside is you have to have a ton of pins because uh, you need 24 pins for the color because you need one pin for every color. So eight red, eight green, eight blue, H-Sync, V-Sync, data-enabled clock, and then you also need, you know, backlight control and stuff. So easily, uh, you know, up to 30 wires, that's a lot of wires. It also makes your routing annoying. Um, and also there is a max, like you do eventually hit a maximum, usually about like, I think like 800 by 800. I haven't really seen DPI displays, you know, RGB TTL displays that are larger than that. And you do need to have a hardware interface just because you're, there's no built-in memory on the displays. You're constantly blitting out the pixel data to the display. So DSi, which you people may be familiar because it's on like a Raspberry Pi computer and other single board computers, is a differential signal protocol. It's kind of similar to HDMI in that way. Um, you only need two to six pins because you need two clock pins and a differential and then one or two lanes uh, to control fairly large displays. You're still, you know, blitting out the data continuously, but because it's differential, you can go much, much faster uh, compared to uh, the limitations of the the RGB TTL, which is you know maybe 40 megahertz or so, um, with a DSI display, it's usually a little lower voltage and it's differential, um, so it's designed to go very very fast. 
and you can blit uh, the data but you do need to have you see up to one gigabit per second crazy fast but you do need to have um, hardware support you know a lot of cool displays we're seeing these days this is in particular is rgb ttl but a lot of these displays these days are available the 30 pin mippy dsi interface and so if you don't want to wire up you know, dozens of pins and you want full 24-bit color you see here this is 16-bit color you see that there's the great it's not a solid gradient you see the uh, especially the pink and the blue because that there's more there's six green pixels and only five red and five blue you'll see uh stippling there um between the gradient and then you see as it gets to green it gets smoother and then back to blue and pink um you start to see the lines again because uh it's not 24-bit color because not a lot of chips have that many pins but again with dsi you don't need that many pins it'd be kind of nice so um for the display the microcontrollers that support dsi host it's not usual it's quite rare and historically it's only been kind of the f7 h7 line have been pretty popular um the f 469 does but it only has you know 350k of on-chip sram and you could connect external ram but like now like your cost and complexity is going up quite a bit uh what i really like about the 599 series like i said it's got two ish megabytes of sram which means that you could have a double buffer of an 800 by 800 pixel display at 16-bit color um, and still have you know a megabyte left over for whatever interfacing you wanted or whatever data you're manipulating uh you know texture handling or objects or so so you know you really do need quite it, the the pixels add up fast because it's like two maybe three bytes per pixel um you know so it's uh it's kind of nice to see that they've bumped from the h7 f7 series from half or one meg up to two and a half so you don't have to do that external uh sd ram uh wiring uh, so this is the family. So, you know, the earlier ones don't have the Neochrome GPU. Uh, only kind of the bigger ones do. The earlier ones also only have like 250 or a paltry 750K of uh, SRAM, but they do get up to three megabytes, which is quite nice. They also have, of course, all the peripherals that you'd expect, SPI, UART, I2C, et cetera, et cetera. Tons of them, I'm sure. Uh, and uh, once you get past the, uh, you know, 5.9 series, you get high-speed USB as well, which is quite nice. Um, and then, of course, half of them have crypto and half of them don't. If you don't need the crypto, you know, don't pay for it. Also, you know, maybe there's uh, compliance issues that you have to deal with. Um, another nice thing is it looks like it's some of the more recent chips they have, JPEG hardware decoding, which is great because if you want to play videos, um you know having a full uh, mp4 decoder is usually you know you have to pay licensing fees maybe or it's computationally expensive you need specialized hardware but mjpeg is easily uh, implemented in hardware and then you can stream animations maybe they're not like super super high res but for you know white goods if you want to have just animations of like how to use the device startup screens etc uh, MJ, MJPEG is plenty good, and it looks like they do, uh, you know, DirectX type stuff as well. Also, vector fonts and vector graphics. Uh, looks like the latest versions of these chips also have some vector support, which is great. Saves you a lot of flash because you don't have to store, you know, full fonts of every size, um, which is quite lovely. So a lot of uh, improvements and you know, implement uh, iterations on the touch GFX and uh, you know graphics support system for STM32. They also have dev kits with displays built in, and best of all, they're in stock. You can actually buy these chips. Yeah. So they're available. Uh, let's pick them up. Different packages. I just picked this one in particular, but again, like I said, there's BGA, TQFP, uh, 64, 100, 144. Uh, pick the smallest one you can get to. I like that they have TQFP because I know sometimes nice fancy chips don't come in anything but bga and it can make your board layout complicated but if you don't need external sram and you're using dsi you might actually be able to get away with like a four layer board uh with full graphics display so where normally you might have been like oh, i need to go with you know a microprocessor that's running linux you could probably do it with a microcontroller okay and in context of this since i'll get the question in real time when referring to a crypto chip is it 
The Wi-Fi connection you have code itself. So the crypto is often used for chip security. So you know if you have data that you're sending over IoT, yes, for uh, like if there's a, you're using bare SSL for example, um, crypto engine will often help speed that up. Um, or if you have data on external flash chip that you want to read and and immediately uh, decrypt on the fly, um, that's another situation where you might have a crypto chip uh, hardware support. Okay. And we're going to play a video and we'll see you on the other side. Okay. We're going to roll right into new products before we do. The code is can BFF Lineata. Kick it. Okay, uh, I'll do this first one. Okay. A million years ago, um, we started this thing with Tumblr. We um, have a fairly popular Tumblr. Um, you can go to tumblr.com and then like part shortage in these. Um, Keycaps didn't come in, but we finally got them. They were coming soon. They're in now. Um, I really like Tumblr as a company. It's owned by Automatic, which is WordPress. I think they're doing a lot of amazing stuff with open source and doing smart things by their users. And uh, just like them, I love independent blogging and, and people being able to have a place on the web for their own content. So this is a Tumblr key. Um, I just dropped them a note. I'm like, hey, remember we were going to do this thing you know, a year ago? So if you like Tumblr and you want a custom keycap, this is just a very limited fun promo thing that we were doing so do check it out next up okay next up we've got some five volt led strip that's a kind of like a neon -y strip i can also show this on the overhead i'll talk about both these and i'll show them both off at the same time so there's a uh, natural white and also pink uh so we have similar strip you might be like these look exactly like other strips you have yeah but these are five volt strips which is quite nice because uh the other ones are 12 volt and maybe you don't have a 12 volt power supply handy so these are a lot easier to control for most microcontroller projects that might be powered from usb uh they are single color and their whole thing lights up at once so you can pwm them if you have a big transistor but uh you know it's not like they're individually addressable um they have about like 500 350 leds per meter um, from more than a few inches away, basically the color is smooth. If you're like looking right up close, you do, you can't see the little, uh, hot spots between LEDs, but, um, let me show them on the overhead and just give me one moment. Set up my demo live demo. Live demo. That's my live demo song. Okay. Okay, so this is, oh, so bright. Uh, this is it at five volts. Maybe I'll try to dim it to three volts. Okay, it's a little dimmer, but still. Um, so it's pink, it's pretty solid. Um, I'll say that, you know, if you're up close, you can kind of see um, the LEDs individually, but because there's a nice um, silicone covering over the LEDs, um more than a few inches away it's basically like one smooth color and i kind of love pink and then this is the uh natural white it's 4000 degrees kelvin temperature 
second, this one. That was that one. That one's that. Video is plugging in this one. Go to now. Okay, hold on. Get this nice and set. So this one is like a nice natural white. I'm kind of holding the wires by hand, just why it's flickering. Hold on. Okay, normally it doesn't flicker. A nice natural white color. Um, both of these, again, you drive them from, you know, basically three to five volts, and they'll draw between like uh, 250 to uh, one and a quarter amps. Alrighty, next up. Um, it's a UPDI friend. Yay, UPDI friend. Everybody's favorite buddy when it comes to programming AT Tiny AVRs. So modern AVR chips, uh, the latest AT Tiny chips, use a new programming interface called UPDI, which is basically a synchronous one-wire UART, um, which means it's much easier to wire up and manage than SPI with a separate reset line. Um, but you do need to have a little bit of specialized hardware to interface with it. And so that's what this is. Um, it's based off of an open source design that I saw by Stephen Wagner. Uh, he did such a good job. I was like, I want to make this and sell it because I want to use uh, this when I'm programming these chips. So um, if we go to the overhead one, yeah. So it's got USB type C and a CH3340E USB serial converter, which works perfectly fine. I've used it up to 200 uh, kilobit per second. It's got a power LED and you can select between three or five volt logic and power. Um, the power comes from either a 500 milliamp uh, LDO regulator for three volts or from USB for five volts. So you can actually like use it to really power chips. There's also a little TX LED that will blink red when data is being transmitted. And there's a 1K resistor between the RX and TX lines. Um, basically, I use this every day when I'm programming AT Tiny chips, um, especially since I'm shipping it with a USB, sorry, a, a JSTSH cable. So the cable you see here comes with it, it plugs into the little connector, and it gives you the power red, ground, black, and data line white. So then I can plug it into a breadboard so easily. Uh, like you can see here and it powers the project as well as lets me do my uh, programming and in theory it can also do debugging although to be honest i've only used it for programming all right um next up the start of the show so ideally data our team our customers our community and everything that makes open source go is da -da -da, the can bff yeah which is you're like why is the code can bff that all makes sense because of the can bff so we've had a couple can boards uh people like to use can bus because it's uh you know very durable reliable um fairly high speed interface it allows you to connect multiple microcontrollers together on two lines um and it's uh it's just been used for decades so it's like well established uh, but to use it, you do need to have, because it's differential, you need to have a chip with a transceiver. Uh, so this is the MCP25625, which is really known as the MCP2515. It's like they took that chip and a transceiver and put it into one small chip, and they gave it a new name. But all the drivers you can use are the MCP2515. It is, as far as software is concerned, exactly the same chip. Uh, and what's nice is it's very compact, and so I could toss it onto... Um, a board uh, that is the same size as a cutie pie or shao, uh, which is lovely because a lot of people have been asking, hey, I want to take these little boards and make little can sensors or transceivers. Uh, so I have a little demo here that I want to show off. So back this up. Let's see. Defocus. Okay. So over here, I've got a, uh, a cutie pie with a CAN BFF, and then I've got this CAN bus cable going over here. And this is going to a um, Feather CAN board. So this is the CAN, this one has a terminal block and this one has a, a JST connector. And then uh, when the rotary encoder is twisted, that signal is sent from the Feather over the CAN bus to the Cutie Pie. And it says like, yeah, I got the data and it's like nice and fast. And you can even have an interrupt pin if you want. Um, this is just it receiving, you know, a basic three byte message over CAN and uh, displaying it on the OLED. And this will be part of the demo code that uh, we put on the, the guide because people always ask us the demo code. Um, but it's just extremely nice and compact. Here I've soldered it with sockets, but if you want it even smaller, you can solder it directly on. Uh, and it'll work with any 
uh, Cutie Pie or Shellboard because it only uses the SPI pins plus chip select. Uh, I know that there are some Cutie Pie or Shellboards that use like the ESP32 series and that has native ESP, uh, sorry, native CAN, but then you need a transceiver anyways. I wanted something that worked with every chip possible. So that's why I went with the uh, SPI interface. We've got CircuitPython and Arduino library code for uh, that chip and it works really wonderfully well. All right, and with that is new product. Okay, um, so don't forget, code is can VFF. Um, we're going to answer questions. I got some lined up okay, on great. Discord, but we're going to do top secret, and then we're going to do the questions. We have a bunch of top secret this week, yes. so uh, we're just going to roll right into those, and then we'll see you on the other side, and we'll do the questions. Get your questions. All right, Lydian, what's this? Okay, I'm doing some CAN bus testing. This is the CAN bus cutie pie. This is my prototype that's in green. And it's a MCP2515 transceiver chip that will let it connect to CAN bus protocol. And I'm using this cable to do that. Uh, and this is a cutie pie SAMD21. It's got an little OLED and you can see the receiver. And on the other end is an RP2040 feather. And I've got plugged into that a rotary encoder. So was I rotary encoderify? Uh, this rotary encoder is read by the Feather RP2040 sent over CAN bus using these three wires to the cutie pie. And then uh, the value is displayed on the OLED. So when I press the button or rotate, messages are sent. So I know it's all working. It's a great little demo uh, to test um, receiving and transmission with the MCP2515 on two Adafruit boards. All right, Lady Ada, what is this? Okay, this is my CANBFF. It's for STEMIQT or Shao boards. It's a cute little thing. Hold on, let me show you what it looks like when it's assembled. So we've got like, you know, a SAMD21 cutie pie, and then this goes on the back and it gives you CAN bus interfacing using an MCP25625, which is really just an MCP2515 with the built-in transceiver. And this is my tester. So I'm using an ESP32S2 and I'm doing a little trick where the native CAN support is going through this CAN transceiver and then feeds into this, which uses SPI to communicate over CAN. So basically I have a little CAN feedback loop here that makes for a great and easy tester without needing any extra hardware. And you can see it's passing test. So this is good to go. Going to go into the shop soon, which means that any Shao or Cutie Pie board will now be able to communicate over the CAN bus protocol. All right, Lady Ada, what's this? This is an AT Tiny 817 breakout board, which we stock. And this is my UPDI friend. Uh, UPDI is a one wire programming interface uh, for AT Tiny chips, modern AT Tiny chips. It's nice because you only need one wire, it's compact, it's easy, you just need a USB serial converter. Uh, so I've got this board that I designed. It's got a three or five volt logic and power selection switch. It's got uh, powering and UPDI in ground, some silk screen on the back. Um, you can use a JST-SH cable uh, to make wiring nice and easy. And then I designed a tester for it using an RP2040 because we have native USB serial with bit banging available on any other pins. So I've got this USB host port, which will enumerate and connect to the on board USB serial chip. And then when I put it here, tests that uh, data is going in and out of the UPDI, UPDI pin correctly. So this passes test. Very nice. And it's going to be ready to go in the shop soon. All right, Lady Ada, what's this? This is me testing out uh, the last sections of the Itsy Bitsy ESP32, which is Itsy Bitsy, a very tiny little board that has an ESP32 um, Pico, not S2 or S3. It's a classic ESP32. So when you know in lava, it's got to make you T and a reset button, an extra button, and a USB serial converter, and then like a NeoPixel driver chip and a couple other things to make it really easy to use. Um, so here I have into the STEMIQT plugged a temperature humidity sensor and an OLED just giving me some status. And I'm connecting to Adafruit IO because it's a really easy way to verify that the Wi-Fi works well. And you can see I can change the color of the onboard NeoPixel. So when I go there, now it's red. And then I can go back up to the Adafruit IO page. And then I'm like, no, nah, you know what? I like blue. And then boom, it's blue. So all is working. Uh, looks great. This is really going to be awesome for Whippersnapper, but also just whenever you need a really small 
ESP32 with uh, two megabytes of PSRAM and eight megabytes of flash. All right, Lady Ada, what is this? This is a new Feather. So we've updated the Feather NRF52 at 40 cents. Uh, this was out of stock for a while because a lot of components were unavailable during the chip shortage, but we were able to get parts and redesign. And so this is back in stock. And so since we already had this going and people really love our TFT feathers, I thought, hey, maybe let's make a TFT feather, but with an NRF52840. So here it's showing the temperature, humidity, barometric pressure, triple axis accelerometer, triple axis gyro, triple axis magnetometer, and the microphone still working on. Stomach QT, uh, user button, reset button, battery backup. And then on the back, all of those sensors and an NRF 52840 module with eight megabytes of flash. So it's kind of like the Feather Sense, but with the display built in. This could be really cool for if you're doing sensor projects and you want to transmit data, but you want to have a little bit more information than just a NeoPixel or an LED. So, uh, so far looking good. Just got to fix that microphone. And we'll get this into the shop. All right, Lady Ada, what is this? Okay, this is me testing out a new board design. It's a thing that takes a NeoPixel signal and then converts it to an RGB common anode output. So NeoPixel power ground data comes in here. This is a WS2811 chip. Uh, and then there's an inverter and then it drives three powerful transistors. So it can drive, uh, you know, five to 12 volt LEDs, common anode up to three amps a channel. So for example, uh, if you're talking about uh, five volt high current, this is a ultra bright three watt LED it's being driven by the NeoPixel mm -hmm. swirl. So bright. Camera's getting confused. And then here is a um, tower light. So these take 12 volts and there's three channels and I'm driving it just like it was a NeoPixel. Um, and then I'm powering it from the uh, Metro's 12 volt input here. So, you know, basically instead of wiring up transistors and, uh, you know, uh. whatever diodes and LEDs and whatever, uh, you just connect it up as if it was a NeoPixel and you can just uh, turn on and every channel with PWM. All right, Lady Ada, what's this? This is a floppy disk. Yeah. But really, it's a circuit board. It's yeah. a floppy-sized PCB. It's got a little floppy bunny on it. So I just got these PCB prototypes, and I'm bringing up the board. So it's got RP2040 with 16 megabytes of flash and a microSD card. Stomach QT, you can power from USB or from 12-volt power. And then down here, it's got a floppy connector. And it's got a 5 and 12 volt uh, Molex. So you'll be able to use this with your laptop, three and a quarter, sorry, three and a half, five and a quarters, uh, maybe even eight inch drives. We'll get that working. Um, and then also laptop floppy drives, which use um, an FPC connector. And it's got like level shifting, write protect. And I even have a little um, TFT screen, hopefully, up and running so you can have offline mode. So you don't even need a computer to do uh, floppy disk archiving. Pretty cool. Right. And we'll have more about the uh, floppy board soon, but that is top secret for this week. Get back in that vault. Yeah. Okay. We have a bunch of questions lined up. Here we go. Okay. First up, um, pairing multiple LED matrix panels using a bonnet. And you want to use them in a two by two config with a Raspberry Pi. I was wondering what the best way to go about it. We actually have, I think, a guide on using FBCP to mirror onto a uh, arrangement. But I believe that the RPI matrix library that we use does handle um, matrix tiling as well. You, you, I think you have to zigzag them. I don't remember which way it is, but uh, we definitely have example code on how to make like a four by four, whatever display. What would be a good device for controlling addressable LEDs and playing recorded audio? It's an excellent question. The answer is the Prop Maker Feather RP2040 has a built-in I2S amplifier, which has great support. So that's high quality audio. Um, and it has a NeoPixel driver in it. So it's basically like the best device for doing both of those things. All right. Next up, what hot air stations do you recommend on a budget? We have a, a quick station that's like about 99 bucks, and I think it's actually quite good. Um, I have one, I use hot air a lot, so I have a nicer station. I think the other web tube stations, one's like cheap and one's a little bit more expensive. They're both very good, but the cheap one works very well. From the INMPI that we did, can this output to HDMI? It is not documented that it can do HDMI, but. Um, you know, DVI output is the same interface as you know, it's differential clock plus two lanes. 
it is conceivable that you could convince the peripheral to output HDMI, but I will be honest, I, I don't know the details of that, and it doesn't seem to be documented. Can the can BFF plug into a car ODB2 port? You can if you have an adapter. So um, I think we have like an ODB2 cable, and then you'll have to like wire up another, you know, DE9 adapter, but the pins, which is ground high and low, you know, are the same on every CAN bus interface. And so uh, as long as you have the right wire cut to the right spot, it should be able to read messages on your CAN bus. Okay, what to use to protect a capacitive touch pin from static shock? This is a good question. And I was actually thinking about it. I'm like, I don't know. Um, you know, I know that there's capacitive touch interface pins on microcontrollers and they're advertised for capacitive touch. You know, they, they do have uh, some basic ESD diode protection you could, of course, add extra diode protection. I know that that will change the capacitance on the pin. Um, you know who I bet has documentation about this is uh, Microchip because the Q-Touch series is like a big line of theirs. And so I bet if you Google for like Q-Touch static, they will have explanations of how they expect people to protect microcontroller pins from uh, the extra static shock you expect from people putting their grubby fingers on your Pins. Okay, with the UPDI friend, how quick and easy would it be to burn an Arduino bootloader to one of those AT Tiny boards? I'm pretty sure that's one possible use. And then they go on to say one program to be a C store originally. There is no Arduino bootloader for those pins. So the Arduino bootloaders for the original Atmega series of chips, which is different. It's it predates the series. So these, I don't even know if they are bootloader compatible. They might be though. Um, but you could absolutely use it to, you know, if, if you have a chip with UPDI, you can burn a bootloader to it if you like. Um, but within Arduino, the way I use it is the Megatini core, and then you just upload over the adapter. There's no bootloader. You don't upload over USB. Okay. When will the ultra flexible LED strips be available with the 1111 one NeoPixel? That's a really good question. I don't know. Um, I have not seen that on the market. Um, one issue is, is that as the LEDs get smaller, um, the heat is more concentrated because they're still burning the same amount of current, right? Because there's like five volt drop to whatever, three or two volts times 10 milliamps per channel. And that heat still has to dissipate. And so it actually is, is tough. I, I don't see as many LED strips with less than 3.5 by 3.5 millimeter LEDs because it's um, there's a risk that they will desolder themselves. Okay, someone invited someone from Adafruit to a fashion show. You can email support adafruit.com. We'll pass it on to our team. Yeah. We probably won't be able to get out to a fashion but show. But we can promo. Uh, but we can also uh, see if one of the team members have a kit. So it's a little hard to coordinate fashion show stuff, but we used to go to them. Um, do you settle on a file format for the dumps on the floppy board? Did you look at Pauline and then they linked to the Pauline? I haven't seen Pauline. Um, when we were doing the floppy dumps, you know, we were looking at Grease Weasel, which came up with a flux format and also of course i think to be to be honest a lot of people who are going to use this i think just want to have fat you know 12 or 16 dot image like right you know raw bit image files that they can then mount um yes some people want flux level images but most people don't and then for apple II, uh you know i think i would go with um like the was format which hopefully we'll be able to support when we uh add yeah support. and one thing is but i'll check out this poly thing i haven't you know i, I know that there are so many uh formats yeah and, and one thing is you know it's all open source and then one of the things that we're looking forward to is having this particular board with archiving and retro stuff those communities are very splinter. There's infighting. One group doesn't like another group, but we have a pretty big group of people that all kind of get along. I'm looking forward to like, hey, like here's a bunch of folks motivated to work together to get kind of the goal, which is archiving this stuff and then publishing it somewhere. There's a lot of like, it's hard to navigate some of these retro communities sometimes. And I think our Adafruit style of bringing people together and having a place for people to have um, show and tells and sharing their stuff on Playground and doing videos and just being able to use our Discord, I think that'll help bring a lot of people together. So whatever format isn't supported, that might be something that we can all work together on too. So would that be amazing? Yeah, that's one of the goals. But it'll be truly a fully open source because I know that there's a lot of for something that is meant for archiving, there's a significant amount of non-open source hardware and software in the uh retro community. Yeah. And I think with that, we got to the questions. Yeah. Okay. All right. Perfect. So thank you, everybody. Exactly on time.
we will see everybody next week. Thanks so much for stopping by. The code is CANBFF. Uh, thanks to Cara, behind the scenes, I think. Thank tonight. you, Cara. And all the Adafruit team members who make this thing go, our and community, you. our customers, people you. showing and sharing. You. Even if you're just cheering along, the folks that are doing open source, it helps, it matters. We very much appreciate it. This has been an Adafruit production. Here is your moment of Zener. Thank you, everybody. Have a great week.